Hello, everyone. I'm Heather Ward, the SCA's Director of Content Strategy, and you're listening to the SCA Podcast. Today's episode is part of our Expo Lecture Series, dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at our Specialty Coffee Expo. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. This episode of Expo 2019 Lectures Podcast is supported by Soft Engine Coffee One, powered by SAP. Built upon SAP's business-leading enterprise resource planning solution, Soft Engine Coffee One is designed to quickly and easily take your small to medium coffee company, working at any point along the coffee chain, to the next level of success. Learn more about Soft Engine Coffee One at softengine.com, with special pricing available for SCA members. Soft Engine, the most intelligent way to grow your business. The episode you're about to hear was recorded live at the 2019 Specialty Coffee Expo in Boston. Don't miss next year's lecture series in Portland. Find us on social media or sign up for our monthly newsletter to keep up to date with all of our announcements, including ways to get involved in next year's expo and early bird ticket release. The UC Davis Coffee Center is engaged in comprehensive sensory research using trained panel descriptive analysis to investigate how different parameters related to coffee brewing impact the flavor, and how these can be manipulated to an individual's desired effect. Of these factors, time can be an important variable in multiple ways, and this talk will highlight two recent projects. The first investigates the time evolution of coffee flavor extraction during the brewing process. By dividing a drip brew into eight parts and evaluating the flavor change every 30 seconds, we offer a more detailed picture of observable extraction changes. The second experiment investigates time elapsed post-brew, comparing how quickly perceptible changes occur when coffee is held in a carafe in order to understand the stability of flavors, depending on holding conditions. Both of these studies offer preliminary data that can be immediately useful to the industry in developing and preserving desired flavors in the coffee brewing process. Today's lecture is presented by Mackenzie Batali, a second-year graduate student in food science and technology at the University of California, Davis, focusing her research in coffee sensory analysis. Previously, she received a chemistry degree from Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon, and worked as a flavor chemist before transitioning into the world of coffee. She has spoken previously about her work on coffee fractionation at ASIC 2018. If today's lecture sparks your interest, you can also read more about McKenzie's fractionation experiment in issue 11 of 25 magazine. All right, let's get started. Um, hi, so yeah, I'm Kenzie. I'm a PhD student at UC Davis in the second year of my program. Um, and I'm really excited to talk to you about my first project uh, in my dissertation, which will be sensory and chemical explorations into drip brew coffee flavor over time. And I wanted to give a little bit of background to how I ended up here, because two years ago, before I started at UC Davis, I wasn't in any way affiliated with the coffee industry. I have a background in chemistry, so I'm coming at this from a little bit of a different perspective. I focused in organic chemistry in my undergraduate degree, and then I worked for a few years at a chemical manufacturing company, uh, working research and development for artificial flavors and fragrances. So that's where I got my introduction into sensory science. I spent two years optimizing the purification of artificial peach. And this is some of our sensory panels for this peach fragrance I was working on. 
And that got me really interested in sensory analysis, which led me to a graduate degree in food science to focus in sensory science, which brought me to UC Davis. And when I got to UC Davis, I was introduced to the UC Davis Coffee Center and the research opportunities there. So some of you may have seen uh, Dr. Ristenpart or Dr. Frost talks yesterday, so I'm sorry if this is redundant, but basically the UC Davis Coffee Center started in 2013 with professors of chemical engineering, Bill Ristenpart and Tonya Kuhl, developing an elective course called the Design of Coffee, teaching basic chemical engineering concepts in a GE general education course using coffee as a medium. And this caught the attention of the coffee industry. To, so to make a long story fairly short, uh, over the years this has started the Coffee Initiative, which brought professors from all sorts of disciplines at UC Davis, from food science and chemical engineering, plant science, business, law, sociology, dozens of professors who have expertise and interests that will relate to coffee um, together with shared research goals working with the coffee industry. Um, and this has garnered a lot of excitement and funding, and broadly we want to do what UC Davis has already done for wine and beer with our world-class you know, wine, teaching winery and pirate brewery for coffee by creating the UC Davis Coffee Center. In my particular lab, studying coffee brewing research, it's a marriage of engineering and food science. So I work with a group of undergraduates and graduate students from mostly chemical engineering and food science. And the engineering work is based on understanding the physical process of extraction and how that impacts basic properties like water absorption, percent extraction, TDS, pH, and all of these sort of things. And then that moves forward into food science where we focus with sensory science in understanding the implications of extraction on the final consumable product with descriptive sensory analysis, consumer preference, and chemical analysis in my particular work. And I want to clarify that in this talk, when I'm talking about sensory methodology, it's a little bit different than what the coffee industry might think of. So we don't work with the cupping system. We use... Uh, we use methodology more standardized within food science, and there's two different sort of fields of sensory science within food science. We've got descriptive analysis, which is more my focus, which is purely quantitative. We're selecting specific attributes and tracking how they change in intensity from one sample to another. It's always comparative. Um, we use train panels, so we go through a training system that's um, relatively similar to the cube graders. And there's no, but in this case, in, to, to contrast with the cube grading system, there's no quality judgment. It's all, uh, there's no liking scores, it's all just quantitative. This is there in a certain intensity or it is not. That is separate from consumer science, which uses untrained coffee drinkers, people who the coffee industry would be marketing to, and they rank on how they like certain products um, and how specific attributes may contribute to liking. And you can correlate what kind of consumers like what kind of products and create different clusters for uh, what type of products uh, fit different people instead of a one-size-fits-all value judgment. 
So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about my work in sensory science. And like I said, most specifically, I'm doing descriptive analysis for this project. So some of the sensory work we've done so far at UC Davis, if you didn't see any of the other talks, um, we had the cone versus basket project. Uh, project presented by Scott Frost last year and Bill Riston Part uh, yesterday. Uh, we have the project on updating and expanding the coffee brewing control chart that was presented yesterday by Dr. Scott Frost. And what I'm here to talk to you about today, which is fractionation of a coffee brew. So the question we're looking at with this project is, how does brewing time impact the perceptible sensory properties of coffee? More specifically, what is happening compositionally as time progresses in a coffee brew? And there's some chemical analysis in the current academic literature to this effect. Uh, there's a study from 1992 by Lee et al. looking at compositional changes in coffee brew as a function of brewing time. And in this project, they did a one-liter brew and found that 50% of all extractable materials extracted in the first fifth of the brewing time. Uh, a study looked at extraction of coffee antioxidants, which can be sensory relevant for bitter, astringent flavors and tastes and mouthfeel. Uh, and found that the majority of antioxidants in espresso are found in the first eight seconds of the pull, and the majority in filter coffee are in the first 75 to 150 seconds of the brew, depending on the coffee origin and the antioxidant coffee uh, content of that particular coffee. And a study by Mastad all looked at the kinetics of aroma extraction and found that the polarity of flavor compounds was most highly correlated to extraction speed. Uh, so like I said, there's some chemical analysis that informs some of what we expected to see, but there haven't, haven't really been sensory studies to this effect. So my sensory study design looked at the fractionation of a batch brew, changing the carafe under the crudest brewer every 30 seconds for the first four minutes of a brew, collecting eight samples total, which was also compared to a full brew under the same conditions. So giving nine samples for sensory evaluation. And along with the sensory evaluation, we did collect physical measurements, uh, mass, total dissolved solids, uh, pH and titratable acidity. And we used a medium roast uh, with an Agtron score of 54, Colombian coffee donated by Java City in Sacramento, California. So first of all, physical measurements. Predictably, like I said in the literature review, Chemical studies showed the majority of the material being extracted very early on in the brew. So on the plot on the left here, we see the total dissolved solids extremely high in the beginning, though we do see a lot of variability in the first, couple, first two fractions, uh, with an average of around 3% TDS, which decreases towards the end of the brew to around, that's about 0.4%. Uh, and then on the right here, we're looking at the brew mass dispensed in each fraction. So some of the uh, previous studies looked at volumetric fractionation, but we are looking at time-based fractionation. So first 30 seconds, as the grounds are saturating, the flow rate is much slower, um, and the flow rate increases as water is dispensed. And at the six-minute mark, after three minutes, uh, was where 
the water dispensation ended, and the last minute is the drip out, and you see the flow rate slow again. Um, you can also look at acidity. So we've got titratable acidity here, which is a slightly better measurement for uh, acidity correlating to flavor and taste than pH, uh, because it includes weak organic acids that, uh, that uh, uh, the pH measurements might not uh, pick up. Uh, so titratable acidity is the concentration of all acids based on the amount of base required to neutralize the solution. And you see continuous decrease in acidity. Highly acidic early fractions and levels out sort of a, it, like TDS does. So, like I said, mostly, uh, most of the previous studies did compositional analysis. So from here, we move into the sensory analysis. And sensory analysis in food science, descriptive sensory analysis in food science does require uh, pretty extensive training. Uh, we start with free, gener free term generation. We use the coffee taster flavor wheel as a reference in the World Coffee Research Sensory Lex Lexicon. And instead of having a preset ballot of attributes we're looking for, all the panelists taste the, all the coffees in this particular study, and they get to come up with the terms that they think are relevant to these coffees. There's no point in rating uh, nuttiness if these coffees don't have that character. Uh, so they start with that, they get to write down whatever terms they think are relevant, and they discuss as a group to start to create a common consensus in the sensory attributes. Then, to help refine that consensus, we work with aroma standards, um, and this is based on a mix of, uh, again, the World Coffee Research Sensory Lexicon and food science literature uh, for descriptive analysis work for other products. We have standards. You can see here that the panelists will smell alongside tasting the coffee, so they learn to recognize these aromas and flavors in the coffee, and they can start to discuss maybe one panelist thinks something is more brown sugar, one panelist thinks it's more maple, and we start to, we have the standard right there, and when they have that alongside it, they can start to agree more on what they're recognizing and move forward with this to select the final attributes for evaluation. So for this project, I selected 22 attributes, had the five basic tastes, a stringent mouthfeel, and uh, 17 different flavors. So, as you can see here, with this project, we wanted to look both at flavors that might be more desirable. So you see some things that you might see on a bag of coffee as a tasting note. Floral, fruity, honey, berry. And some things that you might want to avoid. Rubber, meaty, brothy, things like that. Because we want to quantify both, like, the positive and the negative. And uh, be because in understanding brewing, we both want to know how to maximize the flavors you want and how to avoid the flavors you don't want. Then we work with panelist calibration. Uh, so trying to calibrate everyone to the same level of intensity of these flavors. And this is kind of the fun part for me, not for my panelists. I spiked the coffee with uh, different uh, things uh, that were on our attribute list. So we have 
uh, berry jam, brown sugar, I think that's lemon juice. Then we move down to olive oil, and you can't see it very well down here, but we've got salt, vinegar, MSG for mommy flavor, uh, and we spike these at different intensities so the panelists not only know what they're recognizing, but they're in some level of agreement of they're recognizing it at this intensity on a scale of 1 to 10. And then for data collection, we move into the isolated sensory boots. So they're no longer at a table discussing with other panelists. At this point, we can assume that they're calibrated to each other, and they're served in these isolated booths under red lighting so that they are not uh, biased by the color of the coffee, and they receive samples in a random order, and they rate all sensory attributes on a sliding scale from low to high. They don't see the exact numbers that come off of these scales. And they rate everything in triplicate, so they come back for three sessions. And this gives me the part you're probably actually more interested in, the results. So many attributes decrease over the course of the fractions. If you remember, you saw TDS decreasing. It's pretty predictable that bitter, sour, uh, smoky, burnt, astringent, all these attributes, they were decreasing significantly over the course of the brew. Uh, this yeah, correlated to the TDS decrease. Oh, alcoholic wine as well, my apologies. Some increased. We saw a significant increase in sweetness at the end of the brew and tea floral among some other flavors. So this was really surprising. Uh, and another way we can look at this is looking at how attributes correlate to TDS. So we here we have the bitter correlations to total dissolved solid. Um, total dissolved solid on the x-axis, bitter intensity on the y-axis. And you can see pretty clearly as TDS increases, bitterness increases. This would have a positive correlation. Then we can see the correlation between sweet and TDS. As TDS increases, sweetness decreases. Or in the, in the case of this uh, project where uh, TDS decreased over time, uh, as TDS decreases, sweetness increases. And so we can look at all of these attributes here. Um, and this has the correlation coefficient for each sensory attribute. Um, so a correlation coefficient of close to 1 means a positive correlation. So these attributes decrease over the fractions as TDS decreases. Uh, so we have these dried fruit, cocoa, smoky burnt, astringent, sour, bitter, rubber, salty, umami, alcoholic, whiny, and meaty, brothy, and vinegar, all decreasing as TDS decreases. The ones in the middle don't have a significant correlation one way or another, which I know these look like they're pretty close, but for these particular attributes, there wasn't enough judge agreement to say that they were significantly correlated in one way or another. Um, and then the last five attributes over here, sweet, tea floral, cereal, honey, and fruity flavors, increase as TDS decreases. They have a correlation coefficient close to negative one. Um, 
meaning as TDS decreases, they increase. So that's a negative correlation. So another way of looking at this is uh, principal component analysis. Uh, so if you're not familiar with principal component analysis, this is a way of mapping all of the project, products. So we see fraction one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, and the whole brew moving across the space with the attributes. So these are uh, the attribute loadings. And the percentages here uh, define how much of the variability between samples uh, is encompassed by that dimension. So we see pretty much the first principal component, so the horizontal direction, is where all of the variability lies. And we see the products moving neatly across that first principal component. And the arrow length here uh, corresponds to how, basically how important that attribute is to the differences between samples. So on the first principal component, we see sourness, alcoholic, whiny, bitter, most uh, characteristic of fractions one and two. Uh, in the middle, fractions three and four, as well as the whole brew, had a little bit more of the balance between uh, the two uh, uh, directions on principal component one. And then towards the end, six, seven, and eight all corresponding to the tea, floral, honey, and sweet attributes. So, this is, these were all the attributes that were significant between the samples in either uh, the early fractions or increasing in the later fractions. You can also look at how attributes correlate to other attributes to get an idea of how uh, different sensory properties might co-extract. Um, so again, reminder, the, the correlation coefficient of close to 1 uh, means that they're positively correlated. Uh, the correlation coefficients of close to negative 1 mean that they're uh, negatively correlated. So sweetness and tea floral increase together. Uh, sweetness and sourness, bitterness are not going to be seen together as sweetness increases, sourness is decreasing. Similar information to principal component analysis, but this looks specifically at attributes with other attributes. So, to recap the sensory work. So, moving into the later fractions, we add higher sweet, fruity, honey, tea floral, and cereal flavor as the TDS decreased. In the earlier fractions, we add the rest of the basic tastes were higher, bitter, sour, especially astringency, and many of these other flavors, including smoky, alcoholic, vinegar, meaty, rubber, cocoa, and dry fruit. And these were the more, uh, these were the fractions with the more measured titratable acidity. So, after completing this first step of the experiment, had to think about why this is happening. And a first concern is sensory carryover. As the concentration of the highly bitter uh, soluble compounds decreases, the weaker coffee samples taste sweeter by comparison. You can sort of see this uh, in yourself if you drink, uh, like, very sour, if you drink lemon juice and then you drink a glass of water, the water might start to taste kind of sweet. But the samples are served in a randomized block design, uh, so all panelists are getting samples in a different random order in every replicate to minimize this effect. So 
dismissing this for now as a significant part of why this is happening. Other explanations that we actually wanted to test was the difference in uh, the mass transfer of different sensory attributes, the, the associated compounds, and some things might be extracting at different rates, or there might be a masking effect. So even if the compounds that contribute to sweetness, floral, honey flavors, um, even if they're decreasing overall, if the sour and bitter compounds are decreasing faster, if the relative ratio changes, that might make the apparent intensity increase. So to look more into extraction rates, I want to bring back the TDS box plots and bring up something I didn't mention uh, when I first showed this, which was sample 9. Sample 9 was not uh, taken for sensory evaluation. So after the age fraction, there's still some coffee dripping out. And I collected that. Um, it wasn't enough to, for panelists to evaluate. It was probably about 20 milliliters of coffee total. Uh, but it's enough for TDS measurements and for chemical analysis. And what we consistently saw, and this was also seen uh, in some of the fractionation work done uh, more extensively by uh, some of the engineering undergrads is you do sometimes see, you do see this significant increase in TDS in the last drip out, which makes sense. A slower flow rate means more contact time with the grounds and more material extracted. So with this in mind, we can move into the chemical analysis I did. So we saw sweetness increasing. If sweetness is increasing, obvious hypothesis, maybe the concentration of sugars is increasing. Uh, so we were looking at monosaccharide content. So monosaccharides are simple sugars that cannot be hydrolyzed into a smaller sugar. They're building blocks of disaccharides, so like sucrose, just table sugar, lactose, as well as the larger plant material, the polysaccharides, like cellulose and, and others that are found in coffee. So coffee has a lot of monosaccharides. The question is, how many of these are actually being extracted into the brew? Because a lot of these polysaccharides might not be soluble, might not break down. So we did two different analyses. We did the uh, total monosaccharide composition, which quantifies the monosaccharides that are bound in these polysaccharides. So we've got some polysaccharides here. These individual little uh, dots represent the single monosaccharides. Um, disaccharides as well. This is sucrose. As well as the free monosaccharide composition, which quantifies the unbound monosaccharides. Um, this gives us more of a picture into extraction patterns. This gives us more, uh, this would give us a more accurate look at what's actually contributing to sweetness. So these are the 14 monosaccharides that, uh, that our analysis was able to look at. So we've got fructose and glucose. These are, these bind together to make sucrose as well as 12 others that are all known to be in coffee to some extent, uh, some more than others. Uh, and you can see they all have fairly similar chemical structures. They're all five or six-membered rings. And, 
Yes, so for our methodology, um, this is a, a lot more extensive than you might think uh, measuring sugar would be, but uh, yeah, so this is a full week of lab time, and we've got this, uh, we've got state-of-the-art $600,000 instrument, and that doesn't even uh, take into account the cost of the upkeep and reagents and whatnot. So, we start with the sample and standard preparation. This is a fancy way of saying brewing the coffee and diluting it. Um, <laughs> and then we have to use trifluoroacetic acid to hydrolyze and release the monosaccharides. So this is how, we, for the total monosaccharide analysis, we break down those polysaccharide structures. Uh, then we have to derivatize these hydrolyzed and free monosaccharides with PMP, which is a labeling compound, because as you might know, if you're a roaster, sugar breaks down when you heat it. Uh, and so to analyze it, uh, to analyze it, we need to label these compounds so that they don't break down on the instrument. And then we use this incredible equipment, uh, these ultra-high performance liquid chromatography, triple quadruple mass spectrometry for, uh, for compound separation and resolution and extremely sensitive measurement. So looking at the results, I analyzed the starting material to figure out, so the grounds I used for the coffee to figure out what was there in the beginning, um, what we're uh, working with, and uh, predictably, so we saw arabinose, galactose, and mannose as the total monosaccharides in fairly high concentration, um, which from literature makes sense. Uh, coffee polysaccharides are mainly chains of these three monosaccharides, uh, galactomannins, mannins, arabinogalactins, uh, as well as fructose and glucose in fairly high concentration. Um, everything else, uh, uh, these zeros mean, everything was found in at least some concentration, but these zeros mean that they were less than 0.5%. Uh, and then free monosaccharides, uh, don't see any mannose, any, or you don't see very much mannose anymore, much more fructose, um, and arabinose and galactose. Then we can look at the relative concentration across the fractions, and we see some uh, monosaccharides, some monosaccharide concentrations staying relatively constant, but we also see some that do significantly increase relative to other monosaccharides, including the lactose and we see a relative increase in fructose, especially in fraction 7. The relative concentration of free monosaccharides across all fractions uh, stayed mostly constant, uh, so everything, you don't see any particular uh, monosaccharide uh, changing much in terms of what percent of the overall material that is. <laughs> We see something a little more interesting, though, when we look at the absolute concentration. So these are all monosaccharides in milligrams per milliliter, and we don't we see uh, a decrease. So the high TDS early fractions have high monosaccharide composition, but then and then it de decreases. But it's the lowest 
in fraction 7, and then we do see a statistically significant increase from fractions 7, 8, and 9. Um, this is seen even more uh, starkly in uh, the, uh, the free monosaccharide absolute concentration um, with, uh, with, with more increase, with fraction 6 consistently the lowest, and then an increase in the fractions eight, nine, or 7, 8, and the Dervat fraction 9 as the flow rate of water slows. So we can break this down a little more to, to look at specific monosaccharides. So, uh, as I said, we had 14 monosaccharides that we analyzed. And I want to look at the five most abundant monosaccharides in these samples to give an example of specific extraction patterns. So we've got fructose and glucose. Again, this is sucrose um, in its disaccharide form. We've got arabinose, which is 60% of the sweet intensity of sucrose. Uh, lactose, which is 30% of the sweet intensity of sucrose, and mannose, which can be perceived as sweet or bitter depending on isomer. Uh, like I said, coffee polysaccharides are mainly these three monosaccharides. Looking at the total concentration, the polysaccharides, uh, so the, uh, the arabinogalactins, galactomannins, uh, as indicated by uh, the total concentrations of arabinose, mass, and galactose, they follow the same patterns, more or less, as the uh, overall concentrations. But, interestingly, fructose and glucose extract pretty consistently across the brew. Uh, so, there's not a decrease, we're not seeing a high concentration of fructose and glucose in the early fractions, which maybe uh, goes back to the hypothesis of the relative ratio of uh, compounds changing, allowing a higher perceptible sweetness. Uh, free monosaccharides, they're all in very, very low concentration. So this is, these, like I said, are concentrations in milligrams per milliliter. We don't see nearly any mannose, um, lactose and arabinose, and now fructose follow the same uh, extraction patterns as the overall concentration, and then glucose stays consistent. Another way of looking, this, looking at this is the relative abundance of monosaccharides, and so this might not be a perfect comparison because the chemical analysis is going to analyze undissolved as well as dissolved solids, uh, but this is presenting the monosaccharide concentration as a percentage of total dissolved solids. So uh, based on concentrations calculated on the mass spectrometer, what percentage of what you're extracting is sugars? And we do see in the beginning, it is a slightly lower percentage of the overall material than in some of these later fractions, though it is sort of an inconsistent pattern. Um, which does merit further exploration into relative extraction profiles over time. This, um, it sparks some questions, but it's definitely not the full picture. And we would need, uh, it would be interesting to quantify this, these relative uh, ratios further. Um, so this is an important caveat. So I've talked about 
all of these sugars and the extraction patterns seen here. And it does give us a lot of interesting information to jump off from and create future studies about coffee extraction over time. But even the total monosaccharide composition, which I'll remind you, includes the polysaccharides that you're not really tasting, um, and a lot of these monosaccharides that don't have as much sweet intensity, the entire concentration here is well below the documented human sensory perception threshold for the Swedish sugars, sucrose and fructose, that are going to be extracted from coffee. Uh, so basically, that clearly means, at least with these samples, you're not, my panelists were not tasting sugar when they were perceiving sweetness. So, on that note, what is happening? Uh, so, to recap what we've got so far, we have the higher sweet taste, fruity, honey, cereal, tea floral flavors in later fractions, um, and the early fractions were mostly ha were higher in most of the rest of these attributes, including bitter and sour, um, most significantly, as well as winey, vinegar, and some other attributes. They were more acidic. They had the higher monosaccharide composition. We did see the lowest carbohydrate concentration in the sixth fraction. Um, uh, then a decrease later, but not as high as the early fractions. So, with all of this in mind, some hypotheses for what's causing the increase in perceived sweetness um, and, these, and the increase in these other attributes. So, we saw this slight increase in extraction of uh, polysaccharides in the later fractions, in the 7th and 8th fraction, um, and other higher molecular weight molecules, especially things that are carbohydrate-derived, like Maillard reaction products, might uh, be increasing as well, as we saw the relative extraction profile potentially changing, um, increasing the perception seen of, tea, or of honey and cereal flavors that might be attributed to these uh, products. And then, on that note, uh, perception of sweetness could be related to aroma compounds that are generally more associated with sweetness. So when you taste something that has a fruity flavor, a honey flavor, um, your brain might associate these with things like fruit and honey that do have sugar, and you think you're tasting sweetness um, when you're not actually... Uh, when your sweet taste receptors are not actually being stimulated by sugar. It's a perceived sweetness. And that, as well as the contrast with the more bitter, more sour tastes as that decrease, um, that might cause the increase in perception of sweetness. So these are some theories based on this work so far. And I want to sort of wrap up with, if I could continue this project... <laughs> Further. Um, this project's mostly uh, complete for now. It's uh, being worked up for publication, and uh, this will be released fairly soon. But some jumping off points that I, or if you have, if you want to do some experience, experiments yourself, would love to investigate further. Um, 
is how much is it related to TDS versus extraction changes? Because some of our other sensory studies have shown uh, a negative correlation as well between uh, sweetness and total dissolved solids. So if I could do another sensory study on this, I would want to dilute that high TDS early fractions and see it to the same uh, total dissolved solid concentration as the late fractions that were perceived as sweet to compare uh, this, the perceived sweetness intensity uh, just based on TDS versus uh, what's actually being extracted. Of course, if I had the funding and time, I would love to analyze the entire chemical composition, but as I showed you, that can be both time and cost prohibitive, unfortunately. Um, we did not hit a super high percent extraction in this, uh, in this experiment. I, uh, our overall percent extraction was, I think, about 17%, so on the low side. Um, and as we saw in that ninth fraction, there was an increase in extraction. So there's more material to come out. And uh, um, I would, it would be interesting to see what happens. Just if you keep going, just keep pouring water on the ground, keep taking fractions every 30 seconds, and that what's happening at 9, 10, 15 uh, fractions. And another thing that I wanted to note is we saw that increase in uh, monosaccharide extraction after the po at the point where the flow rate decreased. And we've done some uh, work on uh, different pulsing cycles of, on these batch burrs, and it can be very interesting to explore uh, how changing these pulsing cycles, water on, water off, to give decreases in flow rate at an earlier point in the brew, um, like what if you slow it, slow it way down at fraction three or four, uh, to see if that changes the extractive profile as well. Um, so those are some jumping off points that I would, some questions I would love to answer in the future if I had the opportunity. Uh, and with that, I'd like to acknowledge my uh, colleagues at the UC Davis Coffee Center, um, uh, the students uh, with, the, with Dr. Carlito Labria, who helped me with chemical analysis. Uh, we had donations uh, for, of the brewers from Wilbur Curtis Co. and Java City Coffee Roasters donated the coffee. And most importantly, I have to thank Breville, uh, or the Specialty Coffee Association, and underwritten by Breville for the funding for this project uh, would not be possible without that financial support. That was McKinsey Batali at Specialty Coffee Expo in April 2019. Remember to check out our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture and a link to coffeeexpo.org for more information about this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA Podcast Expo Lecture Series, brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by SAP's Soft Engine Coffee One. Thanks for listening.